Welcome everyone to the Be Check Chats, which is designed by me to be an opportunity to have a slightly more informal, lengthy chat with some of the most interesting creators and builders in this NFT and Web3 space. Today, I am delighted to welcome Brendan Mulligan, founder of Premint, and many other interesting and useful sites to have a chat about Premint, his journey into Web3, and probably some other things which I have not accounted for yet. So thanks very much for joining us today, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you. Um, so I think it makes sense to to start. The main reason I reached out to you to have this conversation was because I heard about Premint on the creator side. And then obviously this collector pass has come out after. So are you able to just run us through what those two products are, how they're connected, and why you decided to build them? No, of course. Um, so at, at its heart, Premint is a platform for NFT artists and creators to um, launch and manage allow lists for upcoming mints. Uh, and this all started about uh, late last year when there was um, a large amount of mints, NFT drops and mints were happening, and it was just an all-out gas war that bots usually want. And so actual collectors weren't able to, to even buy a, a piece of art because the bots were interacting directly with the contract. The um, UI was falling over on a lot of these minting platforms. And so I started seeing a trend of artists and creators using Google Forms to collect wallet addresses ahead of time. We're somehow limiting the mint to a subset of, of wallets. And so I started reaching out to the artists that were doing this and asking them how they processed it afterwards, like how they, um, how they checked if the information was real. Obviously, Google Forms is easy and great, but it doesn't do any validation for you. And found that it was actually a lot of uh, hard work after collecting the addresses to figure out who did, what the allow list was going to be. And so what we did was um, built a very simple interface that allowed you to go in, you connected a wallet, you connected Twitter, and you connected Discord, and you could join a list. And that was basically the, the tool. Artists could launch these pages that had those three buttons on them. That was, you know, the very early part of the idea. And you can imagine once we do that, uh, the creators have a bunch of feature requests, which is one of the best things about building software is when your users actually tell you how you can make it better. And so fast forward six months or three months, I don't even remember what month it is right now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the platform allows you as a creator to go in and say, All right, you can join my allow list here. Um, and you can set any any of many, many variables. You don't have to set them all, but the options you have, you can say in order to join the list, you have to have a minimum Ethereum balance of X amount. You have to own a specific NFT. You have to own, you have to be a part of a Discord server, or you have to be, have a role in the Discord server, or you have to have joined a Discord server by a certain date. There's all these different um, variables that you can put in place. You have to follow a certain account on Twitter. You can um, You can have a recapture form. So there's all kinds of, essentially like ways for you to, you know, the, the goal is to debot uh, your, your community or the people wanting to join your list. So I'll use an example that we just did the other day, which was vFriends, um, which is a massive, massive project. And they had uh, about 15,000, I think, uh, of their 55,000 supply that they wanted to raffle basically to the general public. When I say general public, all the rest of them went to token holders of existing of their existing community. And so I um, was talking to the team and they wanted uh, they were worried that if they just did a big rap or if they did a big public drop, that it would just cause a huge gas war. Um, sort of their related company, Vayner Sports, 
just had a big issue where about $25 million was lost in gas. So they were really sensitive to it. So what they actually decided is they're like, well, we have 300,000 people in our discord. We want to just offer the public raffle to our existing community members. So they said, all right, they set up a premit list. They said, in order to join this list, you have to be in our discord and you have to have joined by, you know, the date right before they announced the, the list. Cause what ends up happening is if, if you say you have to be in our discord, you get all these bots and all these people joining the discord just to be able to enter the premit. So anyway, point is that it's a flexible tool that allows creators to kind of do whatever they want. Um, and so that has existed for a few months. And then about a month ago, we launched the collector pass. And so you imagine there's all these creators launching these pages. Um, and then there's these collectors coming to sign up on the pages. We had never really built anything to help the collectors, except being able to join the list. So you join a list as a collector, and there is a close window button. That's or there isn't even a button. You just have to close the window. There's no like next step. And so we're sort of starting to imagine what the collector journey looks like, where not only do they have a dashboard where they can see all the lists they've joined, see which ones they've won. Cause a lot of these are raffles. Um, they can uh, browse all of the, all of the projects on premint. They can see, look at all of the projects based on what they're eligible to join. So there's no point in them seeing if they don't own a crypto punk. Why show them one that shows a crypto punk. They can see a dashboard that actually just has stuff that they have access to. So, that is all being built out um, and uh, on the collector side. And so we, we launched a collector NFT uh, to, to get access to that. That's really interesting. So just going back to the, the creator uh, at the part of the side of the business at, at the start, what has the feedback been? Because I know some of the numbers that you've been talking about are just extraordinary. The amount of people it's become useful to the amount of people participating in yeah these, it's in these jobs it's it's gotten crazy um you know it, it it started really slow like you know and i i honestly didn't know if it was a big enough problem to solve at the beginning and i think um I, you know partially because of premint partially just because of the, the market more and more creators realized how useful it was to have an allow list versus just opening a mint up um a it helps with all the gas wars and bots and all those things b it's actually really good market research, right? You're basically pre-selling your NFT. You can start testing out, you know, your the way that you present it. You can test pricing. You can there's all kinds of stuff you can do using a allow list sort of registration flow. So um, it's gotten very big. I, I can't remember the numbers right now. I think we've there's been you know five thousand projects launched that have over twenty. Uh, 20 entries. That's kind of what I originally said was a real project, although I want to kind of update that. Um, but, you know, there's been thousands of projects launched. We have, uh, I think when I last time I looked at it, there were about 900,000 wallets that have signed up for these lists. Um, and there, I think was about 4 million entries onto these lists. So it's just gotten, and most of that is literally like probably at least 50% of that is the last month. So it's really, really accelerated rapidly um, since we launched this pass. That's awesome. One of the things you mentioned was this issue that everyone is having with say um, with bots, right? And so I thought two questions. One, as a non-technical person myself, I hear a lot about bots. I don't really get them. Like, I don't like what exactly are they and how do they work? And I think I'm hoping that I'm not the only stupid person who might find the yeah. answer to that useful. Um, and then second, what are you guys like? how how do you stop them if if at yeah. all what are the what are the limitations so um 
so bots cause two main problems in my mind. One, uh, well, I guess they, they cause three problems. Let's say there's a, there's a launch of an NFT that a lot of people want to buy, right? So that, and a lot of times in, at currently in our market, popular NFTs are priced lower than they are valued. They're valued, right? So you can take some recent examples, sometimes not a lot lower, but like the V friends, the mint price was 0.33. I think now the, the floor price is 0.8 or something like that, right? When, when the pre-mint pass launched, the mint price was 0.25, you know, within the next couple hours to days, the, the floor price was 0.3 or 0.4, right? Not a lot, but it is, you know, that is a, that is an abnormal thing in a, in a market um, where you can buy something and it is immediately worth more. Then you have like outliers like Moonbirds that launched last week or two weeks ago, and they launched at 0.25 mint price, which is high, but within hours, the mint price, the floor was like 10 to 20, and I think the floor price is 30. And so when you think about bots, um, the goal of a bot is to go in and buy up as many of these things as possible. And cryptocurrency is great, but because it's all programmatic, like you can build bots to be buyers. You know, it's not like going to like an auction house and raising a stick that says, I want to buy this. Like the bots can do everything, right? So you can, and you can program these bots in a really smart way where they can track what's, so they can look at a mint. And if a lot of people are buying, that makes the bots more aggressive to buy. And if people aren't buying, well, the bots can hold off because they don't really need it. And a lot of these bot makers are really not even trying to optimize to buy something at one ETH and sell it for 20 because they're able to buy so many with like, cause they can have this bot spread across a ton of wallets. Um, and they can, even if, even if for a mint that only limits for one piece per wallet, they can basically buy a large, a bulk amount. And then if they flip them on open sea for 0.2 more or one, you know, just not that much more, they can actually make a lot of money. I think a lot of people always laugh cause they see something mint. And then like within minutes, someone selling it for very little amount above the mint price on open sea. And you're just like, why even go through the hassle to make like 30 bucks? Some of these bots are doing that a thousand times, right? So I see. Um, so bots, so bots can exist across wallets. Like one bot can can manage a variety of wallets, not just uh, one. Well, yeah, I mean, you could say one bot. You could say like the the bot is you know a thousand bots, just oh, the okay. same code as being. But so anyway, so that's one issue is that people find that it's very frustrating when they can't buy a thing because there's computers buying it and then flipping it, right? That's obviously like a pain in the ass. That's just like, so that's one problem to solve. Another problem to solve is when bots are doing this, um, because they have basically already calculated what their profit can be, they're willing to pay a higher gas price. So when you go to buy something on Artblocks and the, the Ethereum window pops up and says the gas here is going to be 20 bucks, um, and well, the bot already knows that, and so the bot's going to charge, you know, willing to pay 21. And so the bots are all like rapidly adjusting their bids. And so most likely the bots will beat you. And the other thing they can do is you, you know, you being a normal person goes to art blocks or, you know, a minting page and you, the page loads, and there's a button and you use your mouse and you click the button and then the button, to, you know, there's this, that's the interaction. And then mm. like the MetaMask window pops up and you click confirm and the, all that stuff is happening. The bot is interacting directly with the contract. And so the bot doesn't have any of that latency. So, you take all of this together and you have a lot of bots putting in a lot of bids very quickly against you. What ends up, and they're all bidding the, the mint price up a little bit. What ends up happening is a massive gas war. 
and everyone is having to spend an inordinate amount on gas and on transaction fees to try to mint. And because the bots generally are faster, a lot of people will pay, have to pay the gas, but actually will lose the bid. And so they'll lose that money. So you got gas war happening where gas is going up in price. And you have normal people who are paying up the gas price just hoping to get the piece of art or to get the NFT. And then they don't and they lose that money. And so what ends up happening is like Vayner Sports, which is very popular mint. Um, everyone was trying to get it. Bots came in and just, you know, and it, actually, you know, in some cases, it's not always bots. It's just a very popular project. But people, I think they lost like 25 million bucks in an aggregate in gas for that. That's crazy, project. isn't it? And so that's ultimately the issue. Um, everyone, like, I think some people overblow the bots thing by saying like bots should never be able to buy NFTs. Mm. This is an opinion. I haven't, this is not like fact, but I, my opinion is it's usually pretty good to sell some of the NFTs to people who just want to make a small profit because that ends up, I think in general, you see a project benefit from, you know, maybe 10% of the supply immediately hitting open sea and selling for a little bit more because that lets all the people who didn't show up for the mint get one for a lower price that gets the secondary market going. All of these things are great. If, if you sold like 10,000 PFPs to a community and not a single person sold it for two months, I think that actually would seem, in, you know, in that extreme case, it might seem super valuable, but if no one's selling it, no one knows how much it's worth. I don't know. So like, I think you need a mix. You just don't want it to be overtaken by bots. And I think that that's one of the things that people like pre-mint for, because you know, solve it. Your, your question about how do we solve the bot problem? We're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, when we do stuff, the bots figure out how to get around it. Then we have to adjust. Like that's basically all we do. But, um, but in general, like you can run enough, enough stuff on top of the list that you create to know that you're getting like a lot of people in the hands, of a lot of people. Um, there's always the outliers, but. Sure. That's really interesting. Do you think then, so I was thinking about how project uh, founders determine like what what their metrics of success are, and it seems to be the case that for Prement, this idea of you know tackling the bot issue, making sure that these NFTs get into the hands of real people, that is one of the core core metrics of success. So, what do you think that that kind of you know on OpenSea how you can see the unique number of holders or is is that the defining metric of success for you guys or how do you think about defining that i have my own opinions about what a successful drop looks like but that is just my opinion right so the the success for premint is users coming in i mean and this is how i've been building software for 15 years i would say this is my metrics of success in general is from, on the creator side is users coming in, using the platform, being happy with what they used and not like saying that it wasn't worth it or asking for a refund or whatever. I mean, Prement as a creator is, is it's the pass to launch your create your tool is a one ETH pass. That's a very expensive piece of software. And so far we have never 800 of 800, you know, in, we have yet to have someone ask for a refund because they didn't, they weren't satisfied with the, the tool. So that to me is my success metric is like, are people happy with using it? Um, the, my hope for the users would be, uh, I, I have a hard time arguing that selling out your drop is not the ultimate goal. 
I think that if you're going to do a drop, unless you're doing some really weird thing, in general, you want to you want to sell the primary supply at the time of mint or very near it. And then that to me is the goal. If I was a creator, I would rather sell, you know, uh, I'd rather sell like sell out at point one than sell 20% at one ETH, even though the 20% at one ETH would create more money. I think you end up with this really weird thing where if you don't sell out your primary, your secondary hurts. And when, and unfortunately, because so many people look at these things as investments, if the secondary hurts, your community gets less faith in your project and it just sort of things fall apart. So I I personally think the only goal you should have is to sell out and you should adjust your Mm. price. So you sell out. Um, A secondary goal is no gas war because that just sucks for everyone. A third goal is to make sure that bots don't get, they don't get all sold by bots anyway. But I I think there's like the the dynamics and sometimes like you can accomplish the first two and it like, so there was a drop, I won't name it, but happened within the last month. They did the first, they sold out within an hour, which is awesome. Um, They had no gas war because they limited the buyers to an allow list created on premium. But the negative was that they let people buy too many. So the, so they sold out because they let people buy a large amount per wallet. And so for the, the foreseeable, like, I forget how many weeks it went on, but, um, the mint price was higher than the secondary price. And that's because people bought the bots bought so many, they were just dumping them and they, they, you know, bots also need to cut their losses. And so the bots were like, oh, this doesn't seem to be going up. I need to sell as many as possible, as close to mint price as possible to get out. And so suddenly the secondary price was basically below mint price for a while, which was really bad for the project. Eventually that sort of fixed itself as more regular people bought. Now the mint price is like 20x, whatever. I mean, the secondary price is way higher. So it fixed it fixed itself. But in that, that case, like they did the first two, but they didn't do the third. But I think in most cases, like Moonbirds is an example, right? Like, they were going to sell out. It was a huge mint. Yes, there were bots that got through. Yes, there were people that registered like 20 wallets and won four spots. All of that stuff happened. But like no, most people at this point, you know, it's been a successful project. So, um, you know, I, I, we want to make sure that people can like what I wish for my customers, the creator side, is that they're able to sell out their, their mints um, more than anything. I agree. I think that all makes a lot of sense and yeah ultimately the project can't really get going if they so ultimately pricing is really really important in in that respect um Mm -hmm. so you mentioned all sorts of very popular projects that have launched with you you said at the start it was quite slow then more and more people started coming how did you uh, attract the best people to the platform? You know, I've done startups for a really long time. I've been part of startups that have grown pretty well. I've been started part of startups, my own. I've done several of my own startups that growth was always a problem. You know, it was like, how do we get more users? How do we get more users? Um, when you raise venture capital, that becomes a much bigger deal because you've basically bought your, you know, you've sold part of your company to people who expect growth and expect your return. So, um, the difference with this project has been it started like as a favor to an artist that I thought I could help by building the software. I let it sit out there for a long time. You know, it took, no one really used it for months. I mean, people used it here and there, but I wasn't doing any promotion. I, you know, but 
that it found its own audience. And so, um, and eventually people started using it enough that a couple more projects used it. And then um, there were sort of, there was, I guess there was kind of two, when I think of it, there's two defining moments. One was um, this, this community rug radio, uh, who's this run by this person for Oak that um, that project decided to build an allow list on Premint and they, I mean, he had like 250,000 um, Discord followers or Discord members, and they destroyed the platform. Because I built this, you know, for, <laughs> for low volume. It wasn't supposed to be. And so I came home one day and I saw that the site had fallen over and, and he was DMing me. And, and like, you know, I was able to help them. And I, I did a lot hand-holding for them over the next few weeks to make sure that they were, they were able to, they collected, I think, 19,000 names. And that was the biggest list at the time. Um, and, but that was the first time that I was like, this is if if people use it to this scale i need to start thinking about this more like a real product and business right up to that point it was literally just something i built one morning and so <laughs> that's when i started thinking like how do i start charging for this like how do i at least generate enough revenue to handle the server load because for him i remember when i was doing like i had to raise it so like it was like two or three thousand dollars a month to handle the servers just for for his drop now i was able to scale that down after the drop happened but it was like it wasn't eight dollars a month like it was sure. before and so so that was one moment and then the second moment was x copy was doing a launch on async art and async was getting ddosed and async had heard i don't know how they had heard about premint but they wrote me and they said hey we need to move our whole process to premint we need to build a raffle for x copy and we need to do it in about an hour can you handle that? And I was like, actually, yeah, I mean, it'll work. Cause I don't gone through the Faroque thing. I knew how to scale up the servers really quickly. And I was like, yeah, I think I can probably handle it. And so we did that. And, you know, things like that started happening where it was like, Oh, X copy was on here. Like, you know, someone who had signed up for the X copy drop, who was also an artist were like, Oh, I, we should use this for so-and-so. So it was like Shaq did one. Right. And so like, I forget what his, what it was, but like he Shaq did an NFT. So Shaq is tweeting about pre-mint, right? Like it just started, the audience found itself. I've never done any marketing. I, growth has never been something I think about that sort of just has happened, um, you know, without having to deal with it, which has been a really nice, I didn't raise venture capital for this. So I've never had to think about like worry about it, but I just have also just never had to worry about it. It's sort of the product found its own market. That's amazing. So cause I, I think a lot of projects struggle with, you know, obviously in their minds, their product is good, right? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. whether it's a community NFT 10,000 profile picture project or whether it's something more, you know, everyone thinks that their product is good. And then I think people struggle with, well, to what extent do we have to market this thing? Because as you said, there are legitimately influential people who can help in a very significant way. The question is, do you try to solicit their help by paying them mm -hmm. or are you, can you be fortunate enough for them to stumble across it and then use it, which it sounds like that was your situation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, it, it's been really great because the, the thing that I think this community is really, really, and I know you wanted to go back so we can start going back, but like I've always built for creators. That's been my career essentially and most of the time the creators don't have any money so it's been really nice to work with creators who are actually being able to help them at an inflect at a point where premint helps you make money 
right? Like you're about to, you're about to do a mint. I, I, our goal is to make your mint more successful. And if you're mint successful, you make a bunch of money. And so creators are like, Oh, thanks for that. I will, um, you're part of the process for me to do that. So paying for this tool makes a lot of sense. I've built a lot of creator software in the past that have been like, we're going to help you, you know, communicate with your fans. And it's just arbitrarily linked to making more money, but it isn't actually making more money. And so, um, so this tool has been, has been great because people are relying on it to actually generate revenue. And therefore they have lots and lots of really, usually really great feedback on how it could be help them generate more revenue or help them, you know, accomplish their goals. And because we've been doing this, I've been doing this for a long time. Like I'm able to rapidly change the product to bend to what the customers are saying it needs to be. And so all of that together usually makes it, uh, you know, is a recipe for success because the, the customers come away with, you know, being very happy that someone yesterday was like, oh, like they were using our API, which is a very rudimentary API to pull some of their their data on their mint and or their customer list. And they were like, oh, it's, I can't use it because it doesn't have this field in it. I, you know, and it's, it's an integral for my project to be able to have that field come through the API. 15 minutes later, we had added the field. And like that field will also be used by other people in the future. Right. But, and that, that person walked away being like, Oh my God, like this just saved my ass. And so you do that over the course of many months, you end up building a product that has a lot of great features that people want, but also you win a lot of people over with who like then go and tell their friends who are also doing mints. Like you have to use this. Not only is it a great tool, but they really are helpful if you need something. So um, it's been helpful with them. Yeah. That's definitely been something I've noticed in your uh strategy for twitter communications versus uh the way other projects do customer service essentially just like accepting feedback soliciting feedback what made you decide because this is slightly contentious among some people i think but you, so you do have a discord for the premint creators you've chosen mm-hmm. not to have a discord for the premint collectors and it seems to be that your position is we can do this on twitter like we can do it on twitter i'm here comment in you know when i tweet something or send me a dm and we'll sort it out what what has informed that thinking is that your past experience what what made you make that decision um you know i think the first time i started brainstorming the collector pass so yeah, the to clarify, I've decided to not have a collector pass community Discord. And when I started thinking about the collector pass, I I go like my my philosophy is to think about the value that I'm bringing to the market that is that isn't there already, right? I think like I shouldn't release a premium collector NFT if the thing it does is already being satisfied by some other product. So I said, what is there a unique value I can offer? And the unique value I think ends up being uh, access to parts of the software that you wouldn't otherwise get access to. And so I've been thinking very much thinking about this as a, as a alternative to like, you know, a normal software upgrade, you buy an NFT as opposed to, you know, paying for the pro plan. And so I think, okay, premium can offer this very unique look into the, into the list. There's all the stuff that we can do that we can give to collectors. Um, and we can give them like tools to be able to manage all the lists because like I said, 900,000 wallets and 4,000 entries, like people are having a hard time keeping track of all their, their registration. So we can build a bunch of tools there. Um, 
is doing a what does a Discord look like, right? So we started asking the question, and I was and I brainstormed with people who also have ten thousand person communities and Discords, and what I heard was a lot of like, oh yeah, you'd you'd you know end up you'd probably end up creating another version of everyone else's Discord where you'd have like the chat channel, the lounge, or whatever people call it. You'd have an alpha channel for people to share projects. You'd have, and I was like, I mean. So what is unique about premium? I could have channels where like once projects are launched on the platform, it could immediately be posted into there, right? There, it'd be a notification center. Okay, cool. Besides that, I didn't really think there's anything unique that so we could do. And so then I was like, all right, what's the trade-off? The trade-off is we have this Discord community we have to manage. And I have seen as a member of Discord communities, it's not easy to manage 10,000 people with all different motivations, have to get a moderator team, Have to, it's just like, even talking through this is a little exhausting and I don't want any of my energy to go to like stuff that isn't critical to make the NFTs really, really awesome. Like to make the subscriptions awesome. And so I talked about this at the town hall we did the other day too. I try to remind people cause new people come in. Like I was pretty upfront before the mint. And I said, if you're buying this, you're not getting access to some sort of an alpha channel discord. Let's just go, go join another one. There's plenty of NFTs you can buy to get access to alpha channel discords. And they're all great. Uh, some of them are great. Some of them suck. I don't know. But like, it's not really what I want to do. Um, and so I've chosen to basically communicate through Twitter. Um, we'll probably do email also at some point, although I know there's all these issues with email, but like, I think Twitter has been working really well because regardless if you own the thing or not, you get to see all of the updates all of the feedback for the product are po is posted to Twitter. When you click send feedback to me within the product, all it does is send a tweet. And so anyone who wants to see feedback can look at it. Like it's been great. I think it works really well. Um, yeah. So, I've, yeah. I don't see any reason to change it. Yeah. I've, I, I, I have this kind of idea that a lot of the truth is revealed in comments. And so I quite regularly, Whenever anyone tweets anything, I I try to read as many of the comments as I can, and I think mm -hmm. I I genuinely haven't seen a project or creator who whose comments are so unique uh, are so exclusively positive, from what I can tell, um, because I I follow yours quite closely, and people genuinely seem to be super happy because of the way that you do the communications, which is very transparent always updating people saying when things are coming through saying when things are not coming through just like ma managing expectations in a reasonable public way <laughs> I, I don't think that that's something they're accustomed to and they yeah. broadly seem pretty pretty happy with it because you know yeah, I, other... I... yeah um, I think a lot of other projects go silent for long periods of time and and then they go into weird kind of hype cycles where they want to hype everything and then when something's not working out then they just disappear and they mm -hmm. just say that they're building or something but without any um without any color as to well what are you doing is there a disaster going on back there without you telling us so yeah it's i i, I think it's going quite well but it's it's not something common yeah and you know i think someone yesterday or when, i don't know what day i think it's wednesday so two days ago i did a town hall and someone was like i was surprised to see how much people enjoyed the corporate nature of what you just did because it's like you know I'm just, <laughs> i do i've done software stuff like the the town hall i did on monday was very much modeled after how i usually will update a team if anyone yeah, you, you, you did an actual presentation <laughs> yeah the company I worked. people don't do that 
Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, and I realized I, last night, I was like, shit, I forgot to post it. Like, I'm, I'll be posting that for everyone to see, but it'll all be in the collector dashboard. You'll see every one of these town halls we've ever done, the video and the, the slides. And it's like, to be honest, that's just me as like a software founder or executive, right? Like a company I worked for last year, we did a, every week, we did a product weekly. And it was like, even if we didn't have much to say, we'd still at least get together and talk through what was going on. And I just feel like whether you're an employees at a company or part of a community, even if you don't want to show up, it's nice to know it's happening because you know at least the person who's kind of in charge is thinking about showing up and making sure that things are transparent. So, um, yeah, I think that people, it's generally following well on people. I always try to set expectations pretty low and over deliver. That's always been my philosophy. I think there's been a few hiccups with with this, I mean, I, I have definitely over delivered for the most part over the last 25 days, 27 days, however long it's been. Um, crazy to think but, it's only 27 days. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. But, but at the same time, like, um, a hundred percent we've missed on things like, you know, we have good problems right now. The good problems are the platform's getting so popular that people are trying to attack it because it's getting so popular. Those are good problems, but they're still problems. And so when, you know, Three days ago, uh, over the weekend, Discord blocked all Freemint links because people were starting. It's a mix of there are some scammy stuff going on Freemint, which we've kind of just cut off because we stopped doing the free plan, which was most of the abuse. Um, And then uh, also there's a lot of people who are trying to sort of negatively affect affect Freemint so they can like mass report legitimate links. Um, All of these things combined. Twitter was wondering if they were legitimate links, so they blocked them. We fixed that. Yesterday, Discord started blocking them. So now we're working on that problem, right? And so and when I'm working on figuring out how to get Discord to stop blocking our links, those are, that's the time I was planning on building the thing I told everyone would be released this week. So the hardest part for me has been, you know, I want to get people excited, not hype, but I want to just let people know I'm like thinking about stuff and working on stuff. But stuff comes up. Um, and, you know, I'm also obviously rapidly trying to hire some people to help take a lot of this off my plate. Um, so it's, it's a balancing act. And so I feel like, you know, there's certain things like multi-wallet, for example, I said that was going to deliver that April 4th, the week of April 4th. And then when Moonbirds launched, it's a feature that could introduce a lot of bugs. I didn't want Moonbirds to be messed up. And I was going to do it the week after. The project itself ends up being way more complicated than expected. And so it's just been delayed and I feel really bad about it, but I feel like showing up and saying it's delayed. I'm really sorry, as opposed to not saying anything generally makes people feel better. There's definitely people who like lose faith and sell their pass and tell me to go F off because that, you know, I promised something I didn't deliver it, you know, that just comes with it. So. Of course. Um, you mentioned this thing about, well, I think I've mentioned it about transparency and people being in the loop. This is a general question about the space and whether you thought about this or not. Do you think being doxed like your face out there showing up doing the videos you know being a human that people can see makes a tangible difference um i i would like to think it does uh i just couldn't imagine doing it any other way just because i've been doing software for a while i mean it's been funny for me to like get get you know pinged by I mean, I'd say 99% of the people I talk to every day are just avatars with weird names, right? So that's fine. I mean, it, it, to be honest, it's like kind of, it's fun, but also a little bit weird and lonely it at times weird. to be like, yeah. I, you know, I'm getting screamed at by someone who isn't even willing to present who they are. So like, I want to, 
hear you as a customer and listen to your feedback and like improve the product. But at the same time, like you're not even willing to tell me what your name is. So like, I don't know, it's like in the, in the pre web three world, it would be really weird for like, imagine calling like your visa card and being like, I want my money back. And then being like, well, who are you? Well, I'm not gonna tell you who I am. Just give me your, give me, you know, it's just this weird level of anonymity that it sometimes I think makes people, uh, probably say things they wouldn't say if they actually had their face on there. So it's a weird position to be like kind of the, one of the only docs. I talked to Kevin Rose about this a lot because he also is a doxed founder doing a, a crypto project. Um, so it's just a little weird at the same time. I think it is, gives people a lot more faith in I'm not some random person that's going to steal all their money and then disappear or something like that. Right. Like it's, it's a lot easier to like, be like, Oh, I, I can look at this person's LinkedIn. You know, anyone can look me. I mean, you search my name, you see all the shit. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, I think that makes people feel a little bit more comfortable with like, uh, I can, I immediately enter with this, like, you know, everyone says web three is trustless, right? Or is that what it is? Is that, is that what we're supposed to be? Um, uh, yeah, that is what it's supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not supposed to need to trust people in web three because all this stuff is transparent, blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know. I think that, I think that's personally like, I would rather trust people. I'd rather like know I can trust someone. Um, mm. And so uh, I think people generally see this. They're like, oh, okay, well, we can bet, make them bet. Like, so I, think, I know people bought the NFT because they're like, I don't really understand what it's going to do. But this is someone who like sold a company to Google, who has launched a lot of stuff, who, you know, has shown his face and his name. Like, that's probably someone that I can work. On. I'm not really worried about this person, like after the mint, taking the money and moving to some other country right or whatever you know disappearing off the internet like it'd be really hard for me to disappear <laughs> so i think it helps in that sense yeah i think there's an interesting question about because i think this is i think a lot of people who are coming in might struggle with or they, they might just do the anonymous thing because they think that that's the thing that is done right here and i think yeah there's a, there's a question about to what extent is your real life experience relevant versus your ability to execute on something? So I think increasingly yeah. people think, well, if I can do the job, it doesn't matter what I have ever done in the past ever, but like, I can just prove to you that I do it. I create a good product. You shouldn't need to care about my history, what university I went to, what job I used to do, like nothing is relevant. I can, if, if I can prove to you that I can do the job. Um, and I, 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 I sympathize with it a little bit in that, yes, I think if you are capable of doing something, then yeah, that's obviously helpful to the person you're working with or for. But for more lasting relationships, as you say, like it can be quite lonely. It's not a particularly nice space to be working in endlessly with anonymous people. You can't, you can't quite build the trust and the relationships that, that make it yeah. worth worthwhile yeah. i don't think yeah and 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 i think i think you just hit the nail on the head and that's why i think that i'm a hundred percent okay with it and i love some of like the i think it's great like i am coming from the perspective of a experienced uh like somewhat successful from the standpoint of like i have a track record of doing some good stuff um white male right so i'm kind of like there's a lot of th challenges that i don't face at all right if i was a is a 22 year old fresh out of college white male well yeah i'd have an advantage from the white male side and like there's a lot of crap that i wouldn't have to deal with because of that 
but I wouldn't have the experience. And so people would write me off because I don't have experience. If, you know, and then you can go down the road of like all of the different permutations of that. Um, so I have privilege because of my experience and just because of born as a white guy, right? So that, that does help. Um, and I've certainly talked to a lot of people who love the, the spirit of Web3 because they are just a board ape. That is who they are. But it's a, you know, a woman of color who is not, has a lot of experience, but people think that she is an expert because she's just been able to prove herself with what she's been able to do. And that's never existed before. So I think that like, it, you know, I, it's again, a, another like example of the privilege um, of like me being able to be doxxed, like doesn't have a huge effect on me or it could have an effect for someone else. At the same time, I think the experience thing is a big deal because I've definitely talked to like discord moderators or collab council members. I have no clue. I've got a bunch of people helping with collabs. I don't know, race, color, age, whatever. All I know is like they've helped other communities do this thing. They seem to know what they're doing. And so I'm like, sure, great, do it. You know, there's no, um, there's no filter there. And so I, I did jump on the phone with someone who wanted to do a call. I forget what community this person was in charge of. And um, we were talking and I could tell that they were young. But then I heard like literally like a, some like someone in the background. He was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I have to run to class. I was like, yeah, I went before we got on the phone. I thought this person, this person could have been anywhere from 25 to 45. Right. All I knew is they were really they'd done a really good job with this job. And I was willing to like work with them. I think they were like 18. Right. And that's that's awesome. Right? Yeah, like that, so is, great. that is really cool. Yeah. So I think that that's awesome. I think the other thing it's done this in like because of that there's this spirit of like i'm willing to help even if you don't pay me um which i don't personally feel comfortable with in most cases uh but people have been like let me help moderate your discord you don't have to pay me i just would love to be a part of this project so there's so many people willing to just like give some hours for free and but for me the nice thing isn't the free part because i always end up saying like i really like can we figure this out Although you do have to get docs, like I don't pay people in crypto because I'm a real software business that has to pay taxes and has to account. So there are people that I don't pay because literally they've been like, well, if you have to pay me in fiat, I don't want money, which is so funny, but whatever. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, the, the thing that's been nice, though, is I feel like there's a lot of people who are willing to say, let me just try to do the job and pay me a contracting rate or whatever or not. But we don't have to have the conversation about like hiring me full time. And that to me is the best thing that's come out of that's the best change from my way I've built businesses before, where like before it's like, all right, we need to hire a head of ops. OK, we need to put a job rec together. We need to put it out there. We need to interview 50 candidates. We need to choose one of them without ever working with them before. Bring them on, give them benefits, give them an employment contract. If it doesn't work out, we need to fire them, which if you've ever done that, it is legally a very challenging thing to do outside of the emotional side like you have to you know especially in california there's a lot of like evidence you have to prove that you fired someone for because they didn't do the job well you have to document sometimes it takes a year to fire someone to in a, in a way that they won't be able to so i don't know i've been able to get help and be like cool like you can start i, I interviewed someone yesterday i didn't even interview i just talked to someone yesterday who came to a really good recommendation this person said, yeah, I've got some extra hours. I'd be happy to help with the thing you need help with. And I said, great. I will add you to Gusto, which is our service that we use to pay people. And I was like, and let's, let's talk in three weeks. Let's talk in a month, whenever you want to talk. And, and there's, we've, we've sort of discussed the idea of doing a full-time thing later, but that's not what they want. They want to prove that they're, 
And I, I don't know, that's a mentality when I was running my like venture funded startups. Yeah, you could hire people contractors, but it was just a different mentality. Most people are like, they work for Google or they work for one of these companies. And they're like, no, if, I, if you want me to work for you, like you have to hire me. Now everyone's like a contractor and um, you can't and, give and, you someone know, a job. What do you say? You can't give someone a permanent job at the moment. Yeah, a lot of people don't want it, right? And that's great because I don't need a full-time moderator for Discord. And most people don't. You just need someone who's going to be also moderating your Discord as they're in. I don't need someone to sit and stare at my Discord all day. You need someone who sits and stares at Discord all day, who probably is in 15 and moderating five of them. Like, So I don't know. I think it, it kind of works out for everyone. But Yeah, that's really interesting. There's definite pros and cons. Um, the way I think about it is... So I, I was just, I'm getting my website done at the moment. And because it's something which will need to be like a more continuous, long-term relationship, I thought it was quite important to try to find someone here who I could speak face-to-face with in person. Just because it's a long-term relationship. And I mm-hmm. need to know that's the keys. It's like the home, my, my online home. I thought mm-hmm. it would be useful to do that. Whereas, you know, if I'm doing, if I need someone to produce some content, every now and again, then that's less important, less, it's still an important relationship. But as you say, some people want an informal relationship where they can contribute once or twice, and then disappear. And that's fine. So yeah, yeah, pros and cons. So you mentioned uh, your previous experience quite a lot there with Google and other software businesses. What what were you doing? What were you up to over there before this? Yeah, I mean, before my, my quick background is I started, came out of college and wanted to go into the music industry. Um, oh. And so I worked as like a, a music exec, sort of assistant exec, uh, booking agent. I worked for booking agencies. I went out on tour with bands. I tried literally everything you can do in the music industry probably. And I and at some amazing companies. Um, and as I was going through this process, iTunes was becoming more popular. I mean, this dates me because this was like early 2000s. Um, but like iTunes was becoming more popular. The digi- digital music thing was starting. MySpace was, got, has gotten really popular. This is back in the day where like publishing as for a musician to publish your new album online was incredibly difficult. Um, and this is just online for people to listen to, right? There was no SoundCloud. There was no, um, you know, iTunes again was just started, but you couldn't as a regular, uh, as an independent artist, you couldn't use that. Um, or it, t- it was a lot of hoops to get through to get on iTunes. And so anyway, that's the the era that I came into the music industry in. And I immediately was like, I'm more interested in building tools for these people than I am like managing these people. I, it just, it made more sense to me. I'd never really done a ton of software before, but it just was clear. Like there's so much about this industry that's inefficient um, that I think we can solve some problems. So I moved into startups and I started building creator tools for musicians. The two big ones that I built was one was a data management platform that just basically sent tour dates across the board. So we used to, we used to work with John Mayer. John Mayer gets an, a string of like 60 new tour dates. That's good news. My job then was to get those tour dates on like 50 different platforms. It would take weeks to get like these tour dates everywhere. Um, you just imagine, okay, there's MySpace, there's 50 MySpace clones. There's also a bunch of concert databases in the music industry that you need to get them into. There's also a bunch of local newspapers. So if, he's, if John Mayer plays San Francisco, you got to tell the Chronicle about it. It's just like at the time it was a nightmare. And then if like we change one of the dates, you have to go back through and change them all. So I built a platform that just did that programmatically. Um, and then I built a platform that helped musicians uh, communicate directly with their audience through their website and made it easy for them to spin up a website and a mailing list and all that. So um 
then I went and did like a venture funded mobile startup when mobile was getting popular uh, that we uh, that never grew um, to the point where you need to have something grow when you raise venture capital. But this was around the time of Instagram and stuff. And we were doing a photo related startup. And so it was uh, popular for a while, but never really like achieved scale velocity. But we ended up learning a lot about the problems of building mobile apps. And so we built this whole suite of tools for mobile app developers. So suddenly I was back to building tools for people who created things. Um, Google at the time was ramping up their mobile developer tool effort. And so they bought that company. We went and joined Google. I worked on Firebase and I worked on, um, I don't know what they call it now. I think it's called Google Workplace, whatever. It used to be called Google Apps and it was G Suite, but Google Docs, Google Slides, um, Hangouts. So I worked on the communication side. So I helped build Hangouts Chat, which is Google's version of Slack. Um, and then after Google, I just got back to building and just built a ton of different software projects on my own and built like a framework to be, to be able to launch ideas really rapidly. And so that's actually that framework that I built three years ago for that was where um, Premint came from. It was that, I was able to literally, the Premint was built in about three and a half hours one morning, start to finish the initial version because all of the, the framework was there. I just needed to build like the pages and the connections to Twitter and Discord, the wallet. So, um, yeah, so it's just been like moving through building for creators. I have a whole website platform for podcasters that still runs that I built a few years ago called PodPage. And that's it's literally just Squarespace except targeted the podcasting space because creators typically tend to need a little bit of unique tools in most of these areas. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's always been fun for me to build for people who are making things because my philosophy mm -hmm. is always if you're a creator, no matter what you're doing, if you've chosen to do a podcast or if you've chosen to be a director or a musician, like your time should be spent making the podcast the best, which maybe means researching guests, booking guests, whatever. Your time shouldn't be building websites. It's a total waste of time. If you're a musician, same thing. Like you should be out touring, writing better songs. You shouldn't be managing your data or creating websites. If you're an app developer, you should be adding features and making your customers happy, not like tracking reviews in the app store. And so I try to build things that just make creators' lives easier so they can focus in on the thing they're creating. So with NFTs, it's like artists, and they should be creating art that they're going to sell. They shouldn't be like worrying about managing allow lists. Uh, mm. That sort of feels like a horrible waste of time. That's not what the artist got into it for. Did you think then, like, did you even see the jump from Web 2 as such as a jump to Web 3? Because in a sense, it sounds like then that you used to build stuff for creators and now you still build stuff for creators so in a way is there has there been a jump in your mind because essentially the, your your core your, your core product in a way or the core service that you provide is sort of the same just the medium has slightly changed yeah i mean you... it's a different it's a different audience there's definitely like fundamentals that are different um there's there's like uh the concept of I can verify that you should be able to access this list because I can check that you own something is a fundamentally that's what that, that con core concept is what got me into NFTs. So that's what excited you about this space. The idea that that so like I, I've always run these different software products and I've always been like, oh, you know, like for my podcast website service, I'm like, oh, there's all these other podcast services out there. And I'd love to offer people who are members of these different services. We're using Riverside right now. 
Like I'd love to offer people who subscribe to Riverside a discount for my podcast website service. To do that, I need to go and do a deal with Riverside. In the NFT world, I can just be like, oh, if you own the Riverside NFT, you know, if, if you were paying for Riverside through an NFT, I could be like, well, if you own that, you can also get a discount here. The idea that you can basically like look at other communities and know who's in them, to me is like, that is a fundamental, and it'll take years for everyone to take advantage of this, but I think it is a fundamental change in how these things are going to work. Like you are going to, I, that's why I think NFTs, even though I think the prices of a lot of these things are inflated, like the idea that you, like, I think utility and membership NFTs is going to be a, just such a bigger thing than most people realize, because I just think that it is such a big deal to be able to not only be able to join a, a, a service, a club, a community via NFT, but then be able to sell it when you outgrow it, as opposed to like, just kind of stop paying for it. Or I, I just think it's such a fundamental shift that that got me into it. But no, I mean, my transition from web two to web three, it's not like suddenly I had to learn a new language, right? I'm still using, right now I'm using most of the same languages I used before. I'm using APIs that happen to talk to Web3, but before they might have, I'm using Twitter APIs and also Alchemy blockchain APIs. So it's like, for me, yeah, I, I've tried to apply a lot of the Web2 psychology and like approach to a Web3 audience. But um, I think the jump was more like what this new technology enables will make so much difference. The other thing is like the concept of wallets. I mean, it's really kind of a pain in the ass if you think about it. Like everyone bitches about bots. Like the reason bots are a problem is because wallets are anonymous. Mm. Yeah. Before, I mean, yeah, you, before it would be emails, but like the fact that like people log into the service using a wallet and I have no idea to know if they're a bot or not, like it's a huge pain in the ass. Um, it's, it has definitely, there's, you have to take different approaches, but, um, and I've chosen, there's some web three products or quote unquote web three products that, when you sign up, you have to create a username and you have to give me your email address. And it's really nothing different. You also can connect a wallet, but like, it's really, you're just creating a user account like you used to. Um, you know, there are days that I wish we would have done that because that would have made things a lot easier. Uh, so anyway, it's a different approach, but um, I love the, I love where this is going. Yeah, that's interesting. So you mentioned the kind of collector, not the collector pass, but the the community pass, the utility pass. Um, what do you think? What's that? What's the ultimate vision? Because one of the exciting things I think about Premint or that attracted me to Premint is because I thought initially this core product, the creator, the creator product, is getting so much traffic. Everyone loves it. All these creators are getting attracted to this service which I suspect gives you all sorts of um, data points. You, you can see the numbers, you can feel the demand. And then on the other side, now you've got these create, um, the, the collector pass, well, you know, a huge number of people who are very active in the space and the potential, and I, I haven't thought about what synergies there might be, but, what's the ultimate vision for this? Are there synergies that you see moving forward? What what do you intend on doing if you are able to reveal more on like the kind of ultimate vision? I know you've got certain things on your roadmap, but this vision of having these creators in one on one side and these collectors on the other side, what's the vision? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, there's so many steps to move closer to the, where we want to go. Um, and I'm, and I, I say, sometimes I say some of the stuff and it scares people because everyone thinks we're going to do each of these things in the worst possible way. But I think that um, 
you know, what I would love at the end of the day is a creator to come on the platform who is someone who just creates art. I mean, I'll never be able to create the art for them. Um, I don't even particularly want to run the mint just to be very clear, because it might sound that way when I say what I'm about to say, but like, I would love for them to be able to come on the platform and be able to know that they are going to sell out. Assuming it's not crap, right? I'm not, I don't want to be able to like guarantee someone who shouldn't be deserving of selling out to sell out. But like, I think that people, you know, talented artists should be able to find their community. And maybe that means they, you know, maybe, maybe their community is 500 people and they're, but they're guaranteed to sell. I talked to someone yesterday who's releasing an NFT collection of 111 um, pieces. I think I forget what they're selling them for, but it will be life-changing for them if they can sell the 111 pieces. Most likely then they'll go on to sell 555 next time or what, you know, whatever. But I would love, I think if you have a community of collectors who are real people and really excited about this art. And then you have creators that come into it. I would love to be able to, on the creator side, give them the ability to know that these people are really excited about what they're doing and are going to buy it. Right. Um, I think it would be really cool at some point if there was some way of like having the collectors, um, I'm not going to say like make a commitment because I, I talked about this on Twitter and it, people were afraid of it. But like somehow to be like it kind of sucks to, I, for the collector pass. We got three hundred or thirty six thousand entry like registrations for ten thousand spots, and so in theory, I shouldn't have had to think about all about work selling out because I had three x demand, three and a half x demand. You never know if those people are going to show up. You don't really know who these people are, and so I would love on the creator side to be able to say, okay, you have thirty six thousand people. Uh, 18,000 of those 36,000 have minted something before or typically or mint regularly or show up to, you know, mm. something to give the creators a sense of like, Oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, 10,000 of these are actual like accounts that just send money to each other. So they're probably bots. Like I would love to be able to give someone visibility and basically say like, if someone comes in and says, I need to sell 10,000 of these, they can using the tool, like know when it's time. Right. Like, okay, cool. I've registered now enough people where when I sell, when I turn, put this thing on sale, I'll sell out. So I want that. Um, there's a long road to get there. Um, and part of that might be, you know, steps like this is happening with the creator pass or the collector pass where it's like people register for a bunch of opportunities win, but then they do their research. And I get that because they don't want to do research on a hundred projects and then only win one of them. So, so maybe there's a step between winning and minting, which is like, cool, I won. I've now done the research and I actually want this spot and they have to reconfirm. Right. I, mm. I don't know if that's what we'll do, but I'm trying to think of like ways to make the person who's selling the thing. And then at that point, maybe they're making a commitment and, and we check the blockchain. And if you don't show up to mint, you get sort of dropped down in the priority list for the next one. I don't know. Not that like at some point you can say, I have done the research and I will show up to mint and you should get credit for actually showing up to mint. Maybe you don't get dinged for not showing up, but maybe you get like an extra power up point or something because you're reliable. So, hmm. um, so anyway, I think there's on that side, on the collector side, I feel like collectors want to know what projects are doing well or what, what are, you know, what, which ones are going to have a lot of, um, and they want access. And so this is something that I haven't talked about publicly and I, I, because I haven't really figured it out yet, but it would be really cool if like, if an artist could come or a creator could come and be like, cool, I, I just want to sell out to your community. Like if, if pre had a big enough, community regardless if they owned a collector pass or not but potentially like collector pass community there is no public mint right it's just like by owning the collector pass you're going to get access to this stuff and there's enough of you where like you you have a good shot in being able to buy it and the creator can just like 
maybe they can slice off some for their other community, but they can sell it. And I saw this happen with, um, wasn't for the same exact intentions, but Heart, an artist, Heart You, who was popular on Tezos, came over to Ethereum and their first drop, they did sort of a collaboration with the Proof Collective. And they, they were selling 1,400 units, 1,433 or something like that, and um, 1,400 NFTs. And Proof has 1,000 members and you've got one per Proof token. And so they, and then they sold the other 444 to their Tezos community who wanted to come over. But it was like, they kind of came in with an embedded sellout scenario, which was awesome, right? They, you know, the proof community was excited to get access to it. So I, I would love to find ways to do partnerships there where like, there's just sort of like, I don't know if it's monthly. I don't know if it's what it is, but it's some way of an artist be like, yeah, I don't want to do all the bullshit that goes along with like hyping my thing. I just want to like offer it up to the community and I want to make sure that we get this right. And, and I know that we're going to sell this thing out, but like, I don't want, I just want to do it that would be awesome for me. Um, but the, but to do that, it's very hard because you have to go to artists who are like good enough to be worth buying, but also haven't really done a lot of community management. Otherwise they would sell to their own community. So it's, you're asking me for the grand vision. Uh, those are some of the grand questions I have, like how can we do some of this stuff better, but we'll see. Well, that's exciting. It's nice to have some interesting questions because um, yeah, that makes the, the future interesting, right? Well, um, and, and you'll notice that if we get a lot of that right, the bot problem is literally just not even part of that equation because it's like we're essentially saying the people in the pre-mint community have been vetted, even though they haven't KYC'd, like we've, we've vetted them, They're, you know, we've been able to identify bad actors. And so if you do offer your thing up to the community, you're going to get people to buy it. And so, I don't know, it, it, it would be great. I think this is like, it's going to take us so long to get there. Um, and we obviously want to make sure we do it right, but I think it'd be cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think a lot of that stuff is, would be valuable to lots of communities are kind of rap, grappling with that same issue, right? Like how can we, how can we provide as much value as possible to this group of people who have now decided to congregate around an NFT or around inside of a discord or anything like that. So I think that's really helpful to have those questions, grand, the grand questions asked, um, Okay, I'm quite mindful of your time. I just had two, one, one more general question and then just a final wrap-up thing. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask, in the space at the moment, is there anything in particular that you, whether it's uh, products or, or attitudes that you like or dislike? Um, I... You know, I've only haven't even been fully embedded in this space for a year. Um, I bought some, like I think I bought some bits when when they came out. So, uh, but then I kind of put them in a wallet and forgot about them for another uh, <laughs> few months. It wasn't until like late last year that I started getting more into it. Um, That's good because they went up like, in value yesterday. By the way, I, don't I heard about that. that. That's all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good to the, forget about uh, stuff sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I feel like there's a, a level of camaraderie that isn't as high as it was, you know, a few months ago, um, which I, I, I think is a shame, but I still think overall, like it's a very positive and uplifting space in general. Um, so I think all of those trends are still good. It's not as great as it was, but I think it's still really good. Um, I think, like I mentioned, I think the most exciting thing that's going to come out of NFTs in the next few years is going to be membership and utility NFTs. I'm doing a kind of a grand experiment with software license fees based on an NFT. I think there's a lot of problems with it, um, but there's a lot of opportunity to, to figure it out. And so um, 
I think that stuff will just keep happening. I think, uh, and so I'm excited to see more of these, like u- more utility being put into these projects. Um, not that I think that every project should have utility. I think like I, I was just talking to an artist yesterday who was excited about releasing an NFT and getting into the space. And they were terrified. They're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't really need to make a lot of money from this, but I don't know if I can guarantee the price is going to go up. And do I have to like fly people around the world and promise things <laughs> like to be able to, so people think there's more value because they'd seen that I'm giving a free ledger away to all premium pass holders. And I'm doing that. I mean, the premium collector pass is more valuable now than it was at mint. And so the value of the ledger is sort of not really a big piece of it. At mint, the value of the ledger would have been like 10% of the value. And I thought that would be cool. Now it's such a smaller percent that I'm like, no one's going to buy it or sell it because of a $60 ledger or 70 or whatever, however much the ledger costs. Um, but they were kind of concerned. They're like, well, you're giving things to your people. Do I need to be doing that? Like I, I think that like art projects should just be able to launch and not have utility. That said, I think it's exciting when people want to get put utility behind it. And I think that that's why, um, that's why Moonbirds is getting so much attention so early because people are betting on that it will be more valuable than just a picture of an owl. Right. I think that's why uh, the ape stuff has pumped a lot more because they're showing like, Oh, you own this thing. You'll get access. You know, they've been doing that forever. Like, Oh, you own an ape, you get a mutant or whatever. I've never owned an ape. So, but there, you've been getting stuff for owning it. And I think like that is utility. So I think people are thinking a lot more about the utility behind the NFTs, which I think is going to be a really fun zone to enter. Um, and I think we'll see this across the board. I think you'll go to a lot more conferences where you can access the conference or you can access the VIP section of the conference, or you can access um, partial events, whatever talks and stuff because you own an NFT. And suddenly it's like, Oh, well, I should probably just keep this thing. I should stop thinking about like, buying the premium pass to sell it at some point. It's just worth having because it's going to hopefully unlock some stuff in the future that might not be valuable, but might be fun. So that's what I'm most excited about seeing people get really creative with that. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, we're operating a weird world in one respect where the normal world doesn't operate where if you like the idea of something, or if you like a product, you buy six Mm -hmm. because you want to go and sell five. Like I think, that's definitely one of the things where we've lost the plot in, to some degree, because if you think something's good, people just like buy 10 and in the normal world, you don't do that. Like if you, if you yeah. think that something's good and you think a product is useful to you, you will just buy one and consume mm-hmm. it as a, you know, as consumption. Uh, so yeah, maybe we'll see a bit of normality in that respect. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny when you have something like um, board apes or, or I don't know, any PFP or any, any NFT that has traits and attributes. Like it makes it, you can argue that buying more than one is cool because you might want to have like one day you feel like a ape with a hat on, the other day you feel like an ape with sunglasses on or whatever. You like the art. And, um, and it was funny because the premium collector pass for anyone who doesn't, hasn't seen it is just a picture of a, you know, digital card. There's no difference. It doesn't even say like what token number you own. It doesn't matter. Everyone is identical. Everyone has the same amount of, benefits and all that um some of these utility passes they're like they're selling ten thousand, but two thousand are like the gold card and you get you might have minted a gold card and that gives you more i haven't done that it's the same exact thing for everyone and so and this isn't i did not launch this to be an investment for people i launched this to be a utility pass to access software so people you know someone said like oh i'm gonna buy 10 of these and i actually did a call with a couple DAOs that wanted to buy in bulk before the mint 
And I had to do a call with them and then a follow-up call and to get verification that they had told their DAO this because I was like, this is, if you own more than one, is no better than owning one. Because I'm not like, I don't involve myself with a secondary market. So, you know, and, I, and, and my advice is to not buy this as an investment because that is not at all how I'm thinking about this. And that is not at all like what my motivations are going to be. I will continue to make it more valuable because the software will get valuable and that might be represented in the secondary market. I have no idea, but this isn't like a, it's just not, that's not where my mind is. So I, I saw people thinking about buying them as like investments. And I was like, that isn't what this is. Never talked about that. That is what this is like. So I would recommend buying one. And so I'm really happy. Like right now that I think I haven't looked at this morning, but like when I go to the open sea page, I don't look at the floor price. I look at the number of owners. And I think um, as of yesterday, it was like out of the 10,000 passes, I think there were like 8,200 owners, uh, which to me is like, and I know that there's a couple DAOs that are holding several hundred. And so I'm like, I think we're probably at like 9,000 unique owners if you, t- if you factor in like those DAOs. So it's just like, I love that. I'm so excited that that's the, the case. Um, and like you said, like you don't buy two subscriptions to Figma. You just buy the one and you, and you use it. Um, yeah. You know. this, I mean, maybe this... I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you pay Riverside 15 times just because you love Riverside, <laughs> but most likely it's like, um, no, at the same been... time, like all that said, you know, you know, like I'm giving away ledgers. So if you own 10 passes, you get 10 ledgers. There is value with owning potentially more than one, but um, as far as accessing the software, there isn't, but for yeah. other things that we do, there could be value. So I think that's yeah. why people do it. Yeah, I think that this space is definitely messed with our heads a little bit. I probably haven't helped the distribution. I bought quite a few as well at the at the very start. But yeah, it's something which I think ultimately is um, works itself out as people start to realize like, okay, these are useful things, but I don't need yeah. in the same way that in normal life I wouldn't do this. So I probably don't need to do that. Uh, well, and that's that said, I feel like it's 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 unfair to not mention this because I talked about this at the town hall on Monday. One of the biggest features for Premint from the creators has been my community members might own three three NFTs, and when I do a raffle, I'd like for them to have three chances to win as opposed to one. Right? Okay, that's interesting. And, and that's like that makes sense if you spent all the money on your board apes and you have an opportunity to win something based on your board ape ownership. It sucks to only have one. So what most people do, who care is they transfer the apes to three different wallets and enter three different times. That's fair, but it's, I don't want to have to make people do that. That's like a huge pain in the ass. So it's a hundred percent coming to premium that if you own multiple of a token, the creator can set, not me, Brendan, the creator can say people can have multiple raffle tickets if they own multiple tokens. Like I would a hundred, why wouldn't we add that? That, that seems like the most fair thing in the world. So, you know, if you own multiple premium creator passes you'll potentially for the creators that want to offer that you might get multiple so there 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 will be reasons to own more than one of any token for some of these things so i told you know if you if you want 10 ledgers you can buy 10 passes and get 10 free ledgers if you want that um so i'm not i, I want to mention that because i want someone to be like wait on, you're saying here that it's not worth having more than one but on monday you talked about it like there are 100 percent be reasons that if you own more than one it might be valuable but that's not what I don't wake up every day thinking like, how can I get people to hoard these things? I think that's yeah. my point. It's like, there could be some extra benefits, but I'll never be like, you can't access the software because you don't own six. Like that's a, it's a one-to-one exchange there. So. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good to clarify. Um, that's awesome. So I think maybe to wrap up, 
I just wanted to ask, I think I'll do this at the end of every one of these chats where I just ask from a, from the perspective of a creator slash builder, if you had one piece of advice to people who are entering this space in particular, or even in general from your other experience, what would your advice be for them to build successfully? I think especially with this space, um, people come in and they're enamored by the new things that the technology unlocks, which I think is awesome. Uh, and so they're like, oh my God, like with the blockchain, you could, uh, you could have it. So when someone gets paid, it immediately converts to USDC and then sends part of it to X, to this person, this person, or like, oh my God, because of the blockchain, like you can build uh, a way for, if you own a pre-mint collector pass, I think Dune or Rune Analytics says this, you can see like who, what else the owners own. There's, you can, because all this stuff is public, you can do so much stuff. And so a lot of people come in and they see the technology and then they build a product based on some new thing it unleashes. And I usually ask the people like, so, who, okay, cool. Who's going to use this? And they're like, well, I mean, who wouldn't want to use this? And I was like, well, have you identified someone with an actual problem that you're solving? And I think a lot of people in the space, and you can raise inordinate amounts of money without a problem to be solved at this point, because any investor is looking to throw money in the space. But I see a lot of startups funded coming out being like, yeah, we have, we know what we're going to build. And I'm like, who will use it? What customers have you already talked to? What customers have you already signed up? And the answer is like, oh, well, everyone will want to use this. And I see a lot of those startups fail. And I think with, um, with Premint, uh, we did the, you know, I did the opposite. I was like, oh, I found someone who had, not a lot of people, just some, someone had a problem. And for me, the trade-off of building it was easy because like I said, it was like three or four hours to build it. So I was like, that's worth it. If it took me three months, I probably would have done more customer research. But I'm like, I'll build it and put it out there and see what happens. I just think that like anyone coming into the space, it's very easy to get like your eyes like enamored with all of the shiny new objects and the toys you can play with all these cool APIs because it is awesome. But if you want to build like a sustainable company or a business, um, it's not to be all like web 1.0 ish or one, you know, just old school, but like you have to find a cut customers that have a problem and start working on that problem. Uh, and so, uh, I, and I think that's where in a normal phase of like a new technology, right. Um, Oh, with web three, what is, what is a browser look like with web three? I still have yet to anyone who really can convince me that we need a web three browser. Like I th I've heard brave is amazing and all that stuff, but like I still use Chrome Chrome solve. I don't know what problem Brave solves for me. I mean, people at the beginning used to be like, well, you'll be able to do micro tipping. I don't with that or whatever. And I'm just like, I don't think that that will ever be a thing, at least in the short term. So, um, but people come in and they're like, oh, Web 3 is here. Now we need to replace all the Web 2 stuff. And maybe one day we will. But like, do we really need like Twitter in Web 3? No, I honestly do not think that anyone's, I think Twitter's fine, even with Elon running it. Like, I don't think. I don't think suddenly it's like, no, we need decentralized Twitter. I think that is a, a, that is a short-sighted thought that like there's enough people. I actually don't even think we need a like end-to-end -end encrypted privacy Twitter. I had someone pitch me like, I want to build Google. I want to build Facebook groups, but end-to-end -end privacy, you know, whatever the crypto, uh, not crypto crypto, like just like fully sort of like a signal type product. And I was like, yeah, I don't think anyone cares. I mean, I think some people do, but like, <laughs> My relatives in, in Maryland who use Facebook every day, they don't care that Facebook does all this. Like, they just want to be able to log on and see their friends. And if you're telling them, like, well, just get all of your friends to move to this one because it's encrypted and private, like, none of those people are going to care. They're going to be like, I don't want to. All my friends are right here. So long way of answering, like, just find an actual problem to solve that, that 
there's a big group of people who are actually having, um, I think that's a good place, a better place to start than I see a lot of people in the Web3 space starting. Sounds like wise words. Uh, thanks very much, Brendan. It's been a real pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed having this conversation. I think we could have gone a lot longer if yeah. we wanted to. Um, if people would like to keep an eye on what you continue to do on the personal level and with all this pre-mint stuff, where can they uh, keep up to date? It's all, uh, I centralize everything on Twitter at this point. So just at Mulligan on Twitter and you'll get, that's literally where, I mean, I, we even at this point, are, we suck at even retweeting me through the pre-mint account. I'm like, <laughs> we've got this pre-mint account. I'm just like, literally was just talking to someone who I'm hiring. And I'm just like, we kind of need to figure out what the strategy there is. Cause I never tweet through that. Even if it's like official pre-mint news, it still comes from me. And so yeah, at Mulligan on Twitter is going to be the best source for the foreseeable future. Cool. I'll add those details when I post this. Great. Thank you Thanks for having very me. Thanks very much, Brendan. Take care. Bye-bye.